Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's episode 139, and we're interviewing Chris C. How are you doing today, Chris? Hi, I'm great, Jim. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Chris, and I'm an alcoholic. Okay, nice to meet you, Chris. It's a pleasure. Um, so let's get the party started here and dive in. Tell me about your childhood and growing up. Um, yeah, no, I wish I had some awful backstory that I could uh, pin my... Uh, my alcoholism on but I, I really don't um I grew up in a you know a upper middle class family in uh central Saskatchewan up in Canada and um you know my my parents they were they were awesome they uh I don't think I can ever recall a time seeing them drunk um we used to do kind of yearly trips uh for the beginning of the school year out to Minot North Dakota because mom and dad could get good deals on our on our clothes out there and dad would get uh, a bottle of rum and mom would get a bottle of vodka. And those bottles wouldn't be finished by the time we went down the, the following year. So I really can't, uh, I can't blame it on that. Um, but yeah, no, I grew up, we, uh, I went to a French immersion Catholic school for the first five years. And then what we kind moved. Of school? What, what, what's uh, different about that type of schooling? Uh, well, French immersion, like Canada is uh, it's a bilingual country. That's a legislated law that uh, it's, it's bilingual. Now, not all students have to go to uh, bilingual schools, but my parents chose for me to go to a French and English school. So I had most of my education K through 12 was fully in French with just English class on the side, right? So we were fully English at home. My parents didn't speak French. Um, but they thought it would be uh, beneficial for me to to have a second language. So I did all of my mathematics, science, social studies, humanities, all of that was in French was in French. We just had an English class. Oh, that's great. So to, I, yeah, I mean, I always impressed by people that are bilingual or even the people that are like trilingual and they speak a bunch of uh, languages. Yeah. Have you found that beneficial in your life? Um, I wouldn't, <laughs> I mean, I, I want to say yes, because obviously having a, a second language is, it should be of some benefit. Now, it's never really translated into career opportunities or anything like that. But I mean, um, you know, being able to communicate with, uh, with other people that, you know, may speak a bit of French, I think it's kind of helped me to, um, you know, just be more open to, you know, like people that are just monolinguistic, especially in North America, they have the, this is what we speak here and everybody else is different than us. And, you know, for me, maybe I don't see it as much as other people are different than us. It's because of the, because of their language. Um, you know, it makes me more uh, accepting and open to people, especially like maybe not even just people that speak French, but other people from other countries who speak other languages and have a tough time maybe communicating in our society. 
So maybe I can, uh, it, it allows me to see things from a different point of view, having for people that have language barriers. Yeah, I can imagine. So you yeah, had a good so, childhood. Yeah, keep going, keep telling me. No, no, it. yeah, it was great, man. It was great. Like we would, uh, we would go on road trips to Ontario. So think of like North Dakota to, to Michigan, kind of road trip every summer mm -hmm. uh, to go visit our family and, yeah, we were all really close. I had an older brother who I really looked up to and I have a, a, a younger sister who, you know, we we got along really good as kids and, you know, into into adolescence, we drifted apart, had different uh, different things. She stayed on the straight and narrow and I went down my path and, you know, um, yeah, it's, you know, elementary school, a lot of, a lot of people that, uh, you know, I've met through the, uh, AA and through meetings and programs, you know, they have these backstories where they started into their, uh, into their decline at a really early age. That didn't happen to me. Like, I mean, I didn't really start drinking until, you know, maybe grade 10 or 11 in high school. And, uh, I found out right away that I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> I would, uh, you know, I'd see the, the older kids and the guys that had been drinking for years, they could, uh, you know, it was almost like a competition, right? Who could, who could drink the most? Hey, this guy, he drank a whole two sticks at that party. And, you know, I, in my misguided youth, I strived for that. I thought that's what, uh, I thought that was going to make me, you know, cool. Right. So it took, it took a hell of a lot of work, Jim, to actually become, uh, the caliber of alcoholic that I became. Um, you know, like the first, for the first couple of years, I was, you know, what you would, what they would call a lightweight, right. You know, I couldn't even drink a six pack and I'd be throwing up and rolling around in the grass in my own vomit. And so it took a lot, it took a lot of training and practice to, uh, to become as well versed in, uh, my, my drinking as I, as I became. Um, so what did I, that happen fairly quickly or did it take time to build up to your as you put it, the caliber of alcohol that you were? Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, after, after a few years of really working on binge drinking, I did become quite good at it. And then, uh, and then as the years went on, like it used to just be like drinking for parties or drinking before you go out for the evening or pre, you know, pre-drinking, or I don't know what the slang is down there. Pre-gaming, we call it pre-gaming. Pre-gaming, yeah, yeah, you know, do that before you go out to the rave or whatever, and or the punk rock show, whatever fad I was into at the time. And uh, but then, as 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 I kind of moved away from like the uh, drinking for social situations kind of thing, like party drinking, and moved into um, you know just just the heavy straight up alcoholism, where it was like you know I was drinking every night uh, and not even to go out like drinking alone by myself in my apartment or my trailer, wherever I was staying at the time. Um, I'll go back a step. I work on the road. I work out of town a lot of times. So 14 and seven rotation, 14 days on seven days at home. So that's 14 days sitting by myself in my trailer, drinking a bottle of whiskey every night to myself. And uh, you know, the next day swearing off alcohol, Something magic happened right at five o'clock, though, because, uh, you know, my 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 will to drink came back with a vengeance every day at five o'clock. So, um, yeah, yeah, it really, How did you, know, you get it into was, that type of, 
How did you get into that type of work? How old were you when you first started? How old was I when I started work or drinking? Well, drinking, you said grade 10. Yeah, yeah, around grade 10, yeah. Did that progress quickly? Like your level of drinking? Yeah, yeah, because so I, I, uh, drinking and, and drugs too. Like I had, uh, I, I, I had a problem with like hard drugs for a long time and like, you know, the party drugs, the MDMA and whatever the kids call Molly these days. And, um, you know, uh, other stuff, you know, all, all the parties, <coughs> right. Um, never really, never really dabbled in the intravenous kind of world, but, uh, you know, basically anything else that was uh, good for parties and that kind of went hand in hand with, with drinking. Right. So, um, that what all, kind of other that drugs? All, you said what kind of other drugs? Yeah. Was it anything like crack or heroin or anything like that? No, no, that wasn't, that wasn't my thing. Just like the party drugs, cocaine, ecstasy, LSD, mushrooms, ketamine. Yeah um you know that kind of stuff right and some of those some some really fancy designer drugs that uh you know hit the streets back in the I, early 2000s. i've done i've done pretty much all that but tell me because the one thing i haven't done tell me what ketamine is like i'm just curious um well i mean without trying to glorify it it's uh so i mean basically it falls into the category of a uh a dissociative Right. So it's, um, you know, commonly referred to as a horse tranquilizer. Veterinarian clinics use it to uh, knock out animals for surgery. So it has a, it has a euphoric feeling in small doses. It's like uh, it, it's similar to alcohol. Right. Um, but in larger doses, you can be fully, I want to say unconscious, but yet still there. Right. So it's it. The way I describe it, and I'm sure a doctor is going to correct me on this, but it kind of suppresses your consciousness and it lets that subconscious that's always running in the background come more to the forefront. And so you have, uh, um, yeah, when you're when you're really deep uh, into like what they call it a K-hole, it's it's very it's almost pseudo spiritual. Um, yeah, it, but it, it causes a whole, whole host of problems from uh, everything from schizophrenia, uh, paranoid delusions, and then into like the actual inside your body causes ulcers and, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's bad. It's, it's got really bad long-term effects, but in smaller doses, it, it was, it was fun at parties, right? It was, you know, like one tiny little key bump and you're, it felt like you just shotgunned a Mickey of, uh, of vodka. So, um, but yeah, my drug use kind of, kind of took hold when I got into uh, certain music scenes, right? So we were, you know, back when we were just punk rock kids skateboarding uh, around town, it was more of uh, smoke weed and drinking beer. And then when we started doing, getting more into like the electronic music scene, now this is like, let's go back maybe 1997, very early in the, for me anyways, what I consider early in the electronic music scene where, you know, LSD and ecstasy were the, the big hits, right? And so then we kind of, I moved into that kind of side of things. And, uh, but alcohol was always there. Alcohol was always the, the precursor to the, to the party, right? You get 
you, you want to get uh, nice and lubricated before you go in and and then whatever whatever pills that were put in front of you basically got gobbled up or whatever powder was in front of you got uh, got done as well so um and then i didn't really have that hard of a time uh moving past the drugs it was it, it got to a point you know i got married um started having children and it just the drugs just didn't fit in right what age Which, did you get married what age was i 32 i was 32 when i got married okay just skipping ahead a little bit yeah 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 so i know i did i skipped a, a big chunk of time but that was essentially that that whole patch from let's say early 2000s until the, until uh 2012 it was all just groundhog day wake up drink do drugs go to party try and hold on to whatever menial little job i could find you know and i'm not putting down uh you know service industry workers but you know working in, in restaurants for next to minimum wage just basically to support my my drug and drinking habit and you know pay for rent and tickets into the next party so that was uh that was just on repeat on repeat on repeat for for a lot of years and then uh i was fortunate enough to get uh introduced into the trades um immediately clicked with uh the the trade that i'm in now i'm a i'm a pipe fitter steam fitter basically uh industrial plumbing let's say so um once i got into a trade i really you know i it was around that same time that i got married and started having kids and the drugs just were not uh they, they it couldn't couldn't exist at the same time as a career i was i found that out i lost jobs over it and um i was i was able to i was able to give up the drugs but the the booze stuck and you know to me at that time it was like well it was the uh the lesser of two evils the, the better alternative right like you know you can go to the store and buy buy your liquor but you know the cocaine you know that's it, it's illegal it's more dangerous it's more frowned upon so i was able to to move away from that kind of stuff but i just used liquor as a crutch right and um yeah the liquor it absolutely took a hold of me it uh man by the by the time i i retired my liquor career it was it was really bad. It was really bad. I was losing relationships. I was losing sleep, losing jobs, losing money, almost lost my wife. And, uh, I mean, obviously the last one was the, uh, the, the problems with my, with my marriage was when I decided that, you know, I, I had a choice to make at that point. Right. And, uh, thank God I chose uh, the right direction. I chose my wife over the booze and, here I am today, close to two years sober, and uh, life's never been better. Things I would have never even imagined that would come out of being sober, like uh, like massive promotions, quality of life, um, the people I've gained in my life, the respect I've gained in my life from from other people, from from talking about this kind of stuff. Um, yes. It's crazy. I, I, I would never have imagined how much better things got um, from from quitting drinking, you know, like, yeah, no, I don't wake up with hangovers anymore. That's that's the smallest. That's a tiny little benefit compared to the other things. 
that, uh, you know, the relationships in my life with people that are just so much better now. So go going back, what was your darkest time, would you say, when you were, when you were younger, what was it, what was the progression of, you know, I know you said that the addiction took quickly, but what was the progression of like your life starting to change and spiral out? How quick did that happen? Going back to like your early twenties, you know? Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah. Okay. I can, I can relate that. I moved from uh, Regina, Saskatchewan. I moved West to British Columbia to a beautiful city called Kelowna. We're right on a giant lake. It's like a, it's almost like a resort town. It's, it's beautiful. And when we moved there, I moved to go to school. They had a, a college there I wanted to attend. I, uh, you know, did all the right stuff. I did some upgrading, spent, you know, months preparing to get into this college. And I get there and um, now I'm in the, in the middle of a drug and alcohol uh, addiction. I managed to, um, you know, just limp through three years of, of school and uh but i was you know not able to work because of the because of my course load and uh and so i turned in i turned to um to selling drugs at that point right to kind of subsidize my my education and my my addictions and all of that and so at that point um it got really bad because I mean, it was, it was just there. I had it all the time. Um, I was buying in large quantities and selling in small quantities. So it's, um, you know, dabbling into my own supply was not really cutting into my profits that bad. And uh, I think that's where things actually really got really bad is when I had like essentially unlimited supply of whatever I wanted. Right. And then it wasn't, I don't feel like I was, terribly addicted to drugs before then but i think that's when that's when things really started to get bad and i started to have health issues and uh near overdoses and uh kind stuff of, like what that kind of health issues um well i mean aside from the the normal stuff like uh like i mentioned before i was getting like ulcers digestive problems gastrointestinal problems um you know, and then the things that come with like, let's say lack of sleep when you're on a, you know, two, three day bender and still trying to do high level university education. Um, you know, that was, that was terrible. Um, you know, and then just the, just the, the stuff that goes along with not taking care of yourself. Right. Um, you know, like even, even things down to like skin problems, the way I looked, the way my energy, my energy that I had throughout the day, right? Like, you know, when you're up till three in the morning and then try to get up for a 7am class and, you know, you just, you just don't have it in you. Right. But um, yeah, those were the main ones. Uh, you know, in, infections happen more often. I was sick more often. Um, so yeah, that, that put an end to my uh, university career. Um, I wish it had put an end to my selling drugs career, but no, I chose, uh, I took the wrong choice on that front. Um, so I, I carried on with the selling drugs, um, for a few more years until, uh, 
basically it was, well, my, my, my wife now, she was my girlfriend at the time. And she had kind of, uh, decided that she wanted out of that lifestyle. And, um, so it was basically, a I wouldn't say an ultimatum at that point, but it was, uh, you know, like, I really wish you wouldn't do this anymore. And, um, so basically it was, uh, again, it was a choice at that point. So I just, we just stopped. I got a, I got a real job. Um, I got lucky. I came into some money from my aunt and uncle. I was able to, excuse me, pay off all my student loans. I hadn't, I never got my degree, but, uh, at least I got out of it with no debt. I don't have that hanging over my head. I got into the career I'm in and you know, it's, uh, the drugs haven't really been a problem since I found, you know, I had to, I had to lose, I had to get, not lose. I had to change my habits a little bit. You know, I couldn't go to these, uh, you know, late night rave parties or the clubs or the after hours parties anymore. It just, I found out that I didn't really kind of like that stuff to begin with. I liked the, the substances that came along with it. When I tried doing this stuff without drugs, it was like, yeah, this is not as cool as it seemed. So um, that was, you know, one of the things I had to give up or, or change, change my habits. I like to put it that way. I had to change that habit. And, uh, you know, I found changing certain things like that made the, made me not want to do the drugs anymore. And then it kind of, the same way that you, things spiral out of control downhill, they can also spiral in, the, in a positive direction, right? Positive changes give you kind of, um, you know, better outcomes. Better outcomes make you pursue positive changes. Positive changes, better outcomes. So you can you can also spiral uphill. So that's kind of where I've been heading. But the uh, like I said, the liquor always stayed. The liquor was, uh, you know, that wasn't going anywhere. So um, through the grace of God, I was able to, uh, you know, stop doing uh, drugs and. Now, uh, God willing, I'll stay sober off alcohol. So let's talk about your recovery. Did you use yeah. any pro did you use any programs? Yeah, yeah. Instantly day one, I went right to AA. Um, it was uh, it was good. I was I was working out of town up in, uh, in northern British Columbia. We were doing a um natural gas pipeline facility i uh i was in the depths of my drinking uh like i said it was i i, I was at the point where a, a we call them a two six up here 26 ounce bottle what do you like 1.14 liters i think do you guys have two sixes in the states i don't know what they would call that here it's like the, it's like there's like the anyway it's the middle size but it was it was um like one of those bottles wasn't even cutting it uh, in a night. So I would need to have, I'd need to have two. It was, it was just, it was horrible. Drinking whiskey straight. Um, and then something came up in my life. I had made a, a pretty bad mistake. Um, my wife felt pretty betrayed by my actions um, and justly so. Um, and so it was, uh, it was at that point that I had to choose between her and the boots. What had and, happened? Uh, what was the incident that happened? Um, so oh, it's, it's kind of complicated. 
essentially the the quick and dirty version is i had reached out to another woman online and uh we had actually met through um i was looking for a place to rent and then uh i she said she had a place to rent and um i didn't end up taking that place and later on in my uh while i was while i was drinking and you know just heavily intoxicated throughout uh i ended up messaging this woman and asking her to you know go for a drink go on a date essentially while i was working out of town and um yeah the uh I guess it shows my uh, technical, logical literacy here. I, I engaged with her over uh, Facebook Messenger and um, she saw my profile picture of me and my wife. And so immediately she reached out to my wife and sent her a copy of all the, uh, the exchange that happened there. And that was it. That, uh, that was the moment that I just about lost everything, so. Yeah, sounds like a, we do dumb things, you know? Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I wish I could blame it all on the, on, all on the, the liquor and drugs, but obviously there's, uh, I've, I've learned through, you know, through going through AA that, uh, you know, I have a, a whole host of character defects that, uh, that need work. So that's, I've been putting in work on that kind of stuff. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's where it started. That it was that uh, it was that incident that kicked off my sobriety, and I immediately the next day um, started going to AA meetings. Now this is um, late August 2020, is when this all went down. Did I say August? I mean October. It was late October of 2020, and uh, yeah, I started going to meetings. I kind of found a home group that I liked there, a good group of people in this smaller community of Quinell, British Columbia. And um, yeah, then, uh, then I mean, COVID hit, right? And I mean, COVID had already started, but it, it got really serious at that point. So they, they shut down all the uh, in-person meetings. Now, I, I believe it was, it was a voluntary move by the groups. I think groups were still allowed to operate even during COVID. Um, but I think uh, most of the groups there shut down voluntarily and switched to like a Zoom format. And, uh, you know, I, I went almost probably nine months without really working any steps, without getting a sponsor, thinking I could do things on my own without, uh, you know, getting into the big book too much. Just, you know, just going to meetings. I used it as an alternative to drinking. So what I found is I could come home from work, get changed real quick, uh, go to the gym for an hour. The gym was a block away from having have another shower at the gym and then I could go to my meeting. By the time all that was done, it was 9.30 at night. I still had to feed myself. By 10 o'clock, I figured, you know, if you can make it till 10 o'clock, you're not gonna need a drink, right? You've already, you've already spent all your good drinking time doing healthy stuff. And, um, and then I, and then I realized that it was, I was, uh, I was staying sober, but I wasn't really fixing any of the problems that, uh, you know, that caused my drinking, right? It's, um, you know, staying sober is one thing and, you know, it's commendable, 
But if you're not working on the character defects, the flaws within yourself, um, then I mean, you're you're have your your chances are very slim of uh, of staying sober, right? So it was only once that I I got a sponsor. Um, I started doing more meetings. I started working steps. Started reading the book. Um, the things actually really started to turn around then, right? So I was still, uh, I mean, there's all kinds of terms. I was a dry drunk until I got my sponsor. Um, and now, now I can say I'm, I'm a sober man. I'm, uh, I don't like to use, I don't like to use it in a past tense, like a recovered alcoholic. Uh, I don't believe that I'm fully recovered. I am in, I'm on a process of recovery. I'm a recovering alcoholic, um, unashamed, you know, I'll talk with anybody, uh, about it. I make it, uh, pretty clear to everybody that that's where I am. And, uh, you know what, if they're going to, if someone's going to judge me negatively on that, then, uh, you know, I just, I don't need that person in my life. If, if it's an employer, that's going to take offense to that, then I don't need that job. But luckily, like we were talking about earlier, I've got an employer who's uh, really supportive of it. They're giving me the time to talk to you right now. And uh, yeah, yeah, AA, man, I can't say enough about it. I know a lot of people, a lot of people don't like the, uh, they think it's a religious thing, right? They do talk about God. It's, it's in a lot of the steps. Um, but it, it's, it's really not a, a religious program. It's a spiritual program. Right. And uh, I think I think that's the key to to recovery is spirituality, finding a higher power. It doesn't have to be uh, Jesus. It doesn't have to be God from the Bible. It's a God of your own choosing. So that is that is definitely key. Um, I, I understand like people have other ways of getting sober, um, quitting drinking. That's, this is the path I chose, and uh, I know the program works for me. I know it's worked for countless other people. So, But at the end of the day, I'm not here to, to promote Alcoholics Anonymous, but um, I will, you know, I, I will say it works. And credit, give credit where credit is due. AA is a great program. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is for sure. Um, but... It might not be for everybody, you know? No, I mean, that's why I have a program that we developed or that I developed for um, the group. And it's just an alternative to AA because a lot of people aren't going to like the AA book, just like a lot of people are going to love it. But there's going to also be a lot of people who don't love it. So it goes both ways. But I think it's good to have all types of alternatives. Like oh, yeah. The smart recovery and celebrate recovery because not everybody's the same we, like if you want to compare it to religion the dalai lama once said he goes there should be different religions because there's so many different personalities on the planet not one religion won't fit all so just same thing i believe it's the same thing with recovery not all recovery will you know be just one type of recovery that fits for everybody no that's great yeah no i, I like that analogy that's uh you know and i mean what's what's the harm in having other, other means, right? Like if it's, um, if it's going to work for, uh, for somebody, that's great. doesn't work. Well, there's something else out there for them to try. So. Exactly. And they keep trying to land on something that works for them. 
God willing. Yeah. So my last question that I ask everybody is, do you have any advice for people that are watching and listening? Yeah. Um, I think the number one thing, let me just give me a second to organize this thought in my head. Um, a lot of people, you know, there's the age old question, like, what is the meaning of life? And I don't think that question is, is worded or arranged properly because the meaning of life is having meaning in your life. So from the way I like to describe it, or my, in my experience, is I didn't have meaning in my life. So I filled that void with partying, with drugs, with, um, you know, all kinds of uh, things that weren't good for me. And so what I found was actually when I started to actually find meaning in, in my life, I found meaning in my relationships. I found meaning in doing meaningful work. Um, having, having a job that I enjoyed that sustained me, um, developing or, or finding meaning in your life, having a family. I mean, that's the number one thing, right? So I, I mean, what, what, what more meaning is there in life? Our whole physiology of, of our, the human being is designed for procreation. So, you know, the, it's, it's not, what is the meaning of life is what is the meaning in your life? And if you can't answer that question, then you're opening yourself up to a, a world of problems. So find some meaning in your life. Take some responsibility. Um, be the kind of person that in a crisis people would look to, right? Is that, is that the kind of person? If there's a crisis going on, do you want to be the kind of person that people are like, don't put him in charge? Or do you want to be the kind of person that everybody points to? And how do you get to that spot is by taking on responsibility that you don't necessarily have to take on. Find some meaning, take on responsibility. Be better than you were yesterday. Don't worry about being better than the guy beside you. I like that. I like that. That's great advice. I really, so I really appreciate you doing the uh, podcast today. Did you like, did you enjoy it? Yeah, yeah, it was nice. It was, uh, it was like an extended version of uh, being asked to share at a meeting, which I always try to like, uh, I try to stay really concise. And, you know, whenever they pick a topic at a meeting, I try to just be super ultra focused, like a laser beam on that topic and watching, okay, I got five minutes to get it all in. This was nice. I was able to go back and forth and, you know, kind of jump around through my story a little bit. So yeah, that was excellent. Thank you so much. No, it was great having you. So sit tight. And for everybody watching and listening, if you like what you heard and saw, go below and give us a like. Also subscribe to see when we upload new videos. Also, please check us out at addicts or www.addicts-anonymous.com. And you can also find us on Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. So that's all we have for today. I hope you enjoyed it. And until next time.